You're listening to the Transport for the North podcast. Hello and welcome to the Transport for the North podcast. This is episode two. My name's Gemma and I'm joined today by Stephen. Hi Stephen. Hi Gemma. So today we're going to be chatting about a few different things. Uh, We're going to be having a look at our news and highlights from over the past few weeks. Obviously we've got a general election coming up so we'll touch on that. And we've also got some really interesting interviews to bring you about active travel with an excellent interview with Paralympian Dame Sarah Storey. And we'll also be talking strategic rail with our very own David Hogarth. So Stephen, big news since last time we were here is that we're getting a general election on the 12th of December. Yep, that's right. Yeah, so it's it's we're kind of we're kind of on wind down mode now a little bit until we get uh, until we get the new government in and we find out what their plans are. Um, I think anywhere that's followed transport for the north anywhere over the past twelve months or so will know exactly what what we are looking for from the north of England. Um, so yeah, we'll see we'll see when the new government comes in on the twelfth what uh, what what they have planned. Absolutely, it's been really reassuring to see um, the needs of the north rising up the national political agenda over the past few months. So uh, absolutely, we wait and see where we are uh, in the middle of December. So last week, a few of us, uh, myself included, and most of our major roads team attended the Highways UK event in Birmingham. So that was a really good event, bringing together all sorts of people working on our road network. So suppliers, planners, actual delivery people out there building our new roads and and refurbishing and maintaining the existing ones, um, as well as our Um, friends in the other STBs from around the country and it was a great event a two-day event down in Birmingham with lots of opportunities to chat with fellow like-minded people to understand what we need from our roads for the future how to make sure they're resilient also how to make sure they're sustainable and fit for the way that people are are traveling around the country these days on the road network so that was a really great event there's a blog on our website if you go to transportforthenorth.com you'll see there a little insight piece from Peter Molyneux, our major roads director, just talking about a few of the highlights and a few of the conversations that we had during that event. And Stephen, I know you wanted to tell us a bit about an event that our chair, John Cridland, went to recently. Yeah, that's right. So John Cridland spoke at a Tech UK event looking at supercharging the digital economy. So I think this comes down to one of those one of those events where we like to emphasise how we're not just about transport for transport's sake. So John was talking about you know how a lot of the times we go, particularly when we look at infrastructure, people see it as one kind of infrastructure over the other. Whereas actually, if we're going to grow, for example, digital is one of the capabilities of the north that we know we do well and we want to do even better. Then obviously, just by putting a transport link to connect the different hubs together, that won't grow them. You know, we need to see the kind of digital infrastructure we need as well, along with other investments across the north. Fantastic. And uh, we're, of course, always attending various different events and conferences around the place. Um, And James will be joining us a little bit later on in the show to give us a roundup of what's coming up and where you can meet with some of our colleagues from Transport for the North and find out what we're up to. Next up, um, a fantastic interview. We were very lucky a couple of weeks ago at one of our staff events to be joined by Dame Sarah Storey, Paralympic swimmer turned cyclist. She's an amazing person, very inspirational, a fantastic athlete, and she came along to talk to us about active travel. Now, active travel isn't always something that uh, Transport for the North has a lot of direct involvement in, but it's a really important part of the transport picture. And through our major roads team and the 
bids that we're putting together for, for road funding and the work that needs to be done across our region's major roads, one of the things that we're really keen to see is provision for active travel, so people being able to walk and cycle, uh, maybe not to their final destination, but maybe to the train station to take them on their, on their journeys. So we sat down with Sarah, uh, she's been named the Active Travel Commissioner for Sheffield. So she follows in the footsteps of people like Alistair Brownlee, who's the Active Travel Commissioner for Leeds, and Chris Boardman, who has the role for Manchester. So we had a bit of a chat with her about active travel, um, about how people can get involved, and what's happening in Sheffield to encourage people to get about more actively. I'm Dame Sarah Storey, I'm the Active Travel Commissioner of the Sheffield City Region. Tell us a bit about your history, about your uh, sporting prowess. Well, until April this year, I was um, an international athlete. I still am an international athlete. I uh, won 14 Paralympic gold medals across the last seven games um, and 35 world titles, four of which were this year. Um, but I decided to take on the job as the active travel commissioner because I'd also been working with British Cycling on some of their everyday cycling campaigns. What are the benefits of active travel? What will people gain if they start walking, cycling more? Well, first of all, we hope that they'll gain some time back because uh, most people who are sat in a car in a traffic jam are doing nothing but getting frustrated about the fact that they want to be wherever they are not currently quicker. So the journey on the train or on the bus, if you've walked to that um, transport interchange, will allow you time to, to do some work. You could listen to your music in a, an environment that's just a bit more p uh, peaceful and chilled if you're out on your bike or you're walking. Um, so health and wellbeing is a, is a really central part in the health of the population. We know we have an obesity crisis from our children right the way through to our um, grandparents. We also have a type 2 diabetes epidemic. So activity and more activity levels will help the NHS reduce their bill on those things. Um, just getting more active means you're more productive, so both in school and in work. Hopefully that will lead to people having a better um, education and work-life balance. And ultimately you're going to hopefully start this active travel journey with your family in your leisure time. So as a family you'll hopefully be able to spend some more time together. And what are the, um, you've spoken about the physical benefits, but there are mental well-being benefits as well to being more active. We know activity has a huge impact on everyone's mental health and well-being as well. And it's really important with, with so many people having challenges with their mental health that we give them ways and solutions to help ease that. So the, the happy endorphins that you get from a blast of fresh air is something that we think everyone should be entitled to have. And um, if you haven't got that fresh air because there's too many stationary vehicles making the air pollution and, and air quality a problem, then that's obviously not good either. And we know children who are lower to the ground, so therefore closer to these exhausts, are breathing in those nasty fumes. And ultimately, that's going to have an effect on the physiology of the body as well. So it's really important that by encouraging and enabling people to be more active and walking perhaps more to, to start with, um, we take some of those vehicles off the road, we speed up that traffic um, flow and allow the air quality to improve. And it's not just about adding e-vehicles into the mix, it's about making sure that people can walk and, and cycle and be more active for their own well-being, both mentally and physically. And what are the challenges currently facing people? What's stopping them from, from travelling more actively? For most people, the biggest challenge is their own confidence and then the environment in which they live. So most people just don't feel safe. And even if that's not actually born out of any particular reason, they just see that there's a lot of cars pa passing them on the pavement. The pavements are narrow. They're not very well maintained. They're poorly lit. 
or there's a narrowing in the pavement because of a parked car or something else that means they, they're trying to take their children to school with a buggy or a double buggy and they can't get past, they don't feel that they want to have to even attempt to walk in the road and rightly so. So they've lo lots of environmental challenges that gives people confidence issues uh, and then ultimately they just go back to that default version of the car, that default uh, mode of transport. We've also got to have challenging conversations with the people who have got the ability to make a difference. So the councillors, the officers, the um, politicians, and we need their political will to make this happen because it's at their gift to say, right, let's design the streets like this, let's move the traffic flow like that, let's prevent um, vehicles from parking on the pavement here, let's allow the streets to be used as we would uh, ideally intend them to be so that pavements can be kept free for people. And also making sure that we integrate people who have different needs, different access needs, we often forget that you know if you walk if you're trying to walk around and you're using a wheelchair those narrow places you just can't squeeze through and coming off of the curb in a wheelchair isn't necessarily something you can easily do and um, without that fear of toppling out so there's lots of other things that people perhaps don't instantly think of that we need to consider as well so you've been active travel commissioner for Sheffield since April this year so that's about six months now what's what's changed in that time what's been your kind of first priorities that you've got to work on the last six months have been a bit of a whirlwind. We've met with the councillors, council leaders, their officers, um, different parts of the community. We've been to visit local people. There's nothing more powerful than presenting a challenge to a, a politician and saying, this is actually happening now. We'd like to be able to do something about it. That provides a different type of motivation. We've met with stakeholders, like the police and crime commissioner and his chief constable. We've met with... Um, Charities like Sustrans and Living Streets work closely with British Cycling and we've also visited the public health directors. So everyone that has an interest and a, a part of this within their own work, we've visited and tried to have a conversation with about the benefits of what we'd like to do. But perhaps one of the biggest pieces of work has been getting to the point where we can talk to the communities because we um, set out my pledges for, for my role when we first started. And one of those was that we'd be led by the people of the region. We wanted to know what they felt like now, how their journeys are now, and how they'd like them to be in the future. So we started with the councils and we had four workshops in each of the four parts of the region. And then just yesterday, um, mid-October, we launched our interactive map. And in the first day, there's well over 600 comments and people have been really buoyed and feel really enthusiastic. And we're just now, um, we've a big task now to collate the information and present it in a really positive way to say this is the appetite for active travel. This is how much people want to be outside on our streets. This is how much people would like to have an alternative to the car. And I think this is going to be one of our most powerful tools moving forward to allow us to design a network map. It's a hugely aspirational piece of work. It's something that feels ambitious, slightly unattainable, but is exciting to think we could make happen. Um, and it's something that everyone can own a part of. And if we do this journey together, then I can obviously work with my team to cost it out and ask the powers that be for that money. But the people behind us, the communities, the residents, the people working in Sheffield City Region will have something to say, look, this is what I've contributed to. This is what these people are trying to achieve. So please, Mr MP, please, Mrs Councillor, can you help us to achieve this? Because this is how we'd like our children and grandchildren to enjoy their lives when they grow up. And what do you think that's going to look like on the streets of Sheffield over the coming years? How are things going to change for 
your children growing up, how are they going to see the difference and, and make sure that they're able to travel more actively through their future? Well, that's one of the exciting parts, is that drawing up those plans is part of the process when we find out where people want the crossings to be put in, where they want cycle lanes, where segregated lanes are needed, where different types of infrastructure, whether they want parking reduced or changed, um, also making sure that there's bus priority, active travel priority, and then connecting into the other um, interchanges into the station, um, sufficient bike parking, secure opportunities for people to leave their, um, you know, valuable machines behind when they take a longer journey on the train and so forth. And then also working with businesses, um, asking them about the provision they can make to their employees so that when they arrive by bike, can they store that bike somewhere? Can they get changed? And are they willing to look at flexible working to allow people to enjoy that walk to school as I do um, so there's so many different aspects it's got it's multifaceted which is also what's very exciting and what sort of things have you seen already so far I know it's been a very short time six months you won't necessarily have made any massive infrastructure changes in that time but have, have you already felt a sense of working more towards active travel and more enthusiasm and more willingness to to engage with it I think active travel has been prioritised more than ever in this past six months because numerous places across the UK are declaring climate emergency and one of the ways of improving air quality um, is to make sure that we can take some of those vehicles off the road. And we've also looked at the health and well-being of children and realised that that's very, very important. And when people start to talk about children and what they're prepared to provide for them, suddenly it's a different conversation. And it's really, uh, really interesting to see someone's face change, someone's conversation change when you start to mention their own children, their own grandchildren and what they'd like to see for their reality. So um, we have seen a, a number of changes. We've seen councillors uh, reduce the number of cars in their households. So they've gone down to one car. They're moving around differently themselves. And people are starting to feel inspired that they can have a, a piece of this and they can make a difference. I think a little bit like when people were choosing to, um, you know, not use one-use plastic, they felt that they could make a difference in their own lives in a small way. With active travel, I think people feel that they can make a, a contribution to this very tangibly. And I think that's one of the most exciting parts of the last six months. And what would you say to people in Sheffield and across the UK who are thinking, Oh, maybe I could start walking to the train station. Maybe I, maybe I could get a bike. How do you encourage them to, to get involved? Well, if you can start walking those short distances, um, then that's absolutely brilliant. You get a gold star. Um, it's really important that any of the challenges on those walks that you put them on the map and you let us know where those challenges are. Because unless we hear from everybody, you might look at the map and see that somebody's already commented, I don't need to. Well, the more comments we get saying the same thing, the more that gets pushed up the priority list. And there's something we can take to councils and say, look, this is a really big problem area. How do we prioritise a whole region that's massive? Um, well, if we've got more comments about one area than another, that may be one way that we prioritise. So I think people can start to feed in and start to feel that they're making a difference. But just getting out there and getting active, get out in the fresh air and see what that does to your own, you know, own sense of being in a day. What's on your wish list then for, say, the coming six months? What's, what's, hap what's happening next? What's in the immediate future for active travel in Sheffield? 
Well, in the immediate future, we're going to be building some bids to apply to the British Cycling Places to Ride Fund. We've got a very good Cycling for All group in Hillsborough Park in Sheffield, and we'd like to extend a network across the region so that people with disabilities and um, need active travel needs that are um, different to everybody else can access um, adapted bikes. So those accessibility needs will be taken um, care of. And ultimately, I'd love to see somebody being able to travel to their meetings um, on a segregated bike path on their adapted cycle and feel safe. And we've also got to put in the final bid for the Transforming Cities Fund um, Part 2, uh, Tranche 2, and that will be going in around January time, I understand. And then once that's complete, we wait for the funding to come through and start to um, make sure those schemes get rolled out. So that was a really interesting insight from Dame Sarah there, talking about active travel and how we can all get around a bit more by walking or cycling. And if you go on our Twitter, Twitter page, you'll uh, find a video from Dame Sarah. She's doing our five questions survey. Uh, so go and check that out as well. Next up, we're going to hear from our very own David Hogarth. He's our strategic rail director. And I sat down with him recently to find out a bit more about the rail network in the north. So about things like the Williams Review, about the passenger promise and our northern transport charter and what Transport for the North are looking to do to make the rail network in the north much more reliable, much more resilient for, for passengers travelling right across our region. I'm joined now by David Hogarth, Strategic Rail Director here at Transport for the North. He's going to talk to us and give us an overview about how we're helping to transform the wider rail network in the North. So, hi David, thanks very much for joining us today. Okay. Tell us a bit about what we mean by strategic rail and why it's important for the North. So we mean connecting people uh, and places together across the whole of the North of, of England. And it means doing that um, with a clear purpose, a clear plan and a clear strategy. So a set of standards, um, setting out our really clear aspirations on behalf of passengers and businesses who use the network across the north. That's what we're doing, that's our remit and that's uh, why we're trying to set out what, how rail is so essential to the north of England. And Transport for the North talk a lot about improving the economy and improving the quality of life here in the North. So how does this investment in a strategic rail network do this? Well, rail is really the feeder of our towns and, and cities. And if you look at how transport networks have evolved in the, in the recent past, uh, people tended to live closer to work uh, than they do now. And it's the rail network that tends to have allowed people um, to make longer journeys, uh, move around more across the north of England and uh, make the workforce mo more mobile, people take advantage of more opportunities. And that's really the, uh, the essence of, uh, of the rail network. Actually at the moment rail counts for a very small share of total trips, just over 1% in the, in the north. Um, but actually that's been growing, it's grown by about three times in the last uh, uh, 20 years, so three times the number of trips 20 years ago. So there's massive potential here for rail to play an even greater role uh, across the north and, and bringing people and businesses closer together basically. So the good thing about rail is it, it frees up uh, space on the roads, it's good for the environment and really there's no other system that has the potential to transport uh, so many people so efficiently, particularly into the big, uh, big cities and if you look at some of the, uh, the bus networks um, uh, the growth tends to be much, much smaller um, and the, 
economic growth that's taken place, particularly in the big cities, tends to have been soaked up by greater, greater rail trips. You can see the direct link between rail and the economy. So you've mentioned that there is an increase in rail use over the past uh, few years, but how do we encourage more people to use the railways and what are the main sort of challenges that are stopping them from, from taking the train rather than jumping in the car? Well, we've all seen what happens when uh, when rail fails, uh, as it uh, uh, has in certain areas over the last uh, last few years, and we also see what passengers really value and really want. What they want is a reliable service that they can depend on to get to work, to get home, to see the kids after work, or to use for their their leisure journeys. And, and businesses rely on it. They rely on employee employees travelling into work, and they rely on freight. Uh, on the rail as well. So um, it fundamentally needs to be uh, reliable but it also needs to be accessible and affordable to, uh, to people as well and uh, not everyone for example can travel on a, on a season ticket so more flexible forms of ticketing um, that can make things uh, more affordable for people who have to travel maybe uh, only a few days a week rather than uh, every day in the week. So getting the basics right is, is key. Trains that turn up on time, trains that are clean and trains that are frequent and trains that don't stop too early in the evening um, or start too late in the morning and that's really really how we need to go back to basics. So you mentioned a bit there about disruption on the railways in the north over the past few years. We saw it in particular uh, with timetable changes last year and unreliable infrastructure. So what's being done to improve those kind of issues and, and how are Transport for the North involved in that? So you're absolutely right. Um, there was a meltdown of services um, uh, around the time of the May 18 timetable and things have been very, very slow to, uh, uh, to recover. What people perhaps don't see is that behind the scenes, uh, Transport for the North and its members have been uh, putting a great deal of pressure on the industry to, um, to sort this out and get back to a more reliable service. So for example, calling for uh, and securing an independent expert uh, to look at performance across the north of England, but also securing compensation for passengers um, so there's at least some recompense for the problems that, that were occurred. And really pushing the operators, holding them to account, along with Network Rail, um, to make it much more transparent and understandable to members of the public. And there are some big challenges out there, uh, and we shouldn't shy away from those, um, but equally the industry has to be much more upfront uh, about how they're tackling the problems. One of the key things that this um, episode has uh, highlighted is the need for more investment and uh, reform of the industry as well um, to actually give us a system that, that works together collaboratively. And we've recently seen Keith Williams give evidence at the Transport Select Committee uh, regarding the, the Williams review into, into the rail systems. He spoke about a number of changes that we need to see. Just give us an overview of, of the, the Williams review and Keith Williams' evidence and the expected outcomes from that. So the review that uh, Keith Williams is undertaking really came about as a result of the uh, disruption. There were reviews into the, uh, the timetable chaos uh, nationally. We did our own Blake Jones uh, review more locally. And then Keith Williams is doing his uh, national review looking at the whole future of rail. And I think that is really a recognition of these problems uh, that occurred. It really shone a light on the whole structure and way the industry is uh, is organised. So what we're 
hearing is um, some fairly fundamental change, which we uh, fully support at Transport for the North. We think putting the passengers first at the heart of uh, decision making, uh, getting back to basics in terms of running a, a reliable railway, and particularly uh, making the track and train work together as a, as a single organisation, and then having um, a single point of accountability so that somebody's uh, able to stand up and be uh, be counted and be accountable to to passengers, taxpayers, and uh, our elected members, um, who hopefully will be playing a much greater role in the future in overseeing the uh, the railway. But it's really putting putting everything back together and integrating it. So Transport for North is ready to uh, work with our our local partners and stakeholders uh, to make whatever comes out of the uh, the Williams review. Uh, really work and we've put in some uh, evidence, some really strong evidence about how we at Transport for the North, working with our local authority partners, uh, can, can bring the railway much closer to, to local people, make it more accountable and more responsive in particular to the needs and tailored to the needs of the North as a whole but also the needs of individual city regions and the needs of rural areas which are often very very Different, and I think the uh, the advantage of transport for the north is we can we can bring all that together into a coherent strategy uh, and set of requirements, um, speaking on behalf of the whole of the north. So as we're uh, sat here recording this piece, we're just gearing up to the next uh, rail stakeholder event that's going to take place in Manchester. Tell us a bit about that event, what it's what it's for, and what it hopes to achieve. Yes, of course. Well. A big part of our role is um, listening, listening to um, customers, listening to passengers, um, listening to people um, who want to use the, uh, the railway more. So we're organising a, a stakeholder event and it's really aimed at uh, rail users and community rail uh, partnerships across the north of England. So there's a multitude of these groups. Um, we get input from them at various times during the year, but this is an opportunity to have a, uh, a joined-up conversation uh, to all those users in one uh, in one space and talk to them about what matters to them. So, so local issues, but in a in a northern context. Thanks ever so much, David, for joining us. I think that was really uh, informative, really useful to get an update on the uh, on the strategic rail network in the north and what Transport for the North is doing to, to make sure passengers are, are put first. Thank you. So that was a really great insight there from David Hogarth, all about strategic rail and how Transport for the North is working to improve the wider rail network across the north and make travelling by train a much more pleasant experience for passengers. David also contributed to a blog on our website. If you go to www.transportforthenorth.com, you'll find his article under the Insight section. Now, James went along to the rail stakeholder event that you heard David mention there to find out a bit more from rail users across the north what they thought about the current service across the region and how they think that improvements can be made. So we'll hear from James now at the event. Hello, James here. I'm at the Transport for the North Rail stakeholder event where I'm chatting to local rail user groups about their experience of using the North's railways. My name's Dave Colshaw and I'm wearing two hats today. Initially I'm a member of the Friends of Hindley Station group and also a director of Travel Watch North East. I use the railways very frequently. I'm in the fortunate position of 
living 300 yards from the railway station, so I use it whenever possible. The on-station information leaves a lot of it desired. It is not accurate. Uh, trains are scheduled to arrive and they don't quite often. There's a vast improvement there, to be perfectly honest. But insofar as the design of the new rolling stock is concerned, very good indeed. Very good. Peter Kennan from Sheffield Chamber of Commerce. Uh, well, I use the railways uh, for most of my intercity travel and uh, why I use them. Um, not only because they're generally uh, faster for intercity journeys but um, if you compare the actual cost of uh, driving with the cost of train travel uh, it usually works out cheaper to uh, use the train than it, the overall cost of driving plus we have to now really consider environmental considerations the agglomeration benefits of having cities working as one uh, are well are well known, um, but to do that we need a fast, efficient, frequent, cost-effective rail network, and that's exactly what TFN is trying to deliver through the various programmes. We do need to focus more on uh, what else we can do to put passengers first. And I caught up with Simon Shrouder, who told us a bit more about the event. My name is Simon Shrouder. I'm the Rail Stakeholder Manager for Transport for the North. Well, today is Transport for the North's chance to listen to rail users from throughout the north of England. These are friends of stations, community rail partnerships and rail user groups. We've had a really good turnout, 55 plus people at the moment and still counting. And they'll be sharing with us some of their local rail issues and learning from us some of the major pan-northern strategic projects we get to try and give them better connectivity across the region. Thanks for that James, really great to hear from rail users from across the north about their experiences. Now then James is here again and he's going to tell us all about what's coming up over the next couple of weeks for Transport for the North. Hello Gemma, so we're attending the UK 2070 Commission Stakeholder event on the 18th of November, so that'll be our chance to discuss regional inequalities and how we can help address these through transport. We'll also be at the People's Powerhouse Convention in Sunderland on the 19th of November. So that's an exciting mix of topics uh, which will be up for discussion. And we have some members of staff talking about transport and how we can put passengers at the heart of what we do. On the 27th of November, we'll be attending the IPPR State of the North Conference at Newcastle's Discovery Museum. Thanks very much, James. As you heard, still plenty going on. We may be on the countdown to Christmas now, but there's still a lot of events and activities happening around the region. So that's all from us this time on the Transport for the North podcast. Thanks very much to Stephen for joining me once again. Thank you very much, Gemma. Don't forget you can subscribe on Spotify or SoundCloud to make sure that you never miss an episode. Stay in touch on our website and on our social media on Twitter and we're now on Facebook as well. Just search Transport for the North and we look forward to chatting with you next time. Thanks for listening to the Transport for the North podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Transport for North, follow us on LinkedIn or visit transportforthenorth.com. <laughs>